Do you remember how it goes? I'll say, we adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. And the, your response is, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Again, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. One more time. <laughs> because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Beautiful. All together. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you. Thank you, Mrs. Neal. You got this. Well done. It's what this is all about. This whole season leads up to the cross, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord, that tree of life. But we start today in this first Sunday of Lent at the beginning, beneath a different tree that led not to redemption, but to condemnation. In our first reading with Adam and Eve and the fall of humanity, it's a true story told in symbolic language. The scholars that study these things, they'll debate the significance, the historicity, if you will, of the, all the different parts, the tree, the fruit, the snake. But it's true. God created the world perfectly, and sin came into the world with the free choice of our first parents after being tempted by Satan. We know it in the very fiber of our being. We know the effects of sin, but we also know the message of hope that we see through this. I've been spending a lot of time these past weeks reflecting on the practice of prayer to get ready for my Lenten series that's starting on Tuesday. And it's reflection, reflecting that all good prayer has those three components of, of talking to God, of listening to God, and of being in God's presence. So as we look at the second and third chapters of the book of Genesis, it, should, it struck me that Eve is doing those three things, but not with God, instead with Satan. There she stands in the presence of the evil one, the serpent. We've all been there before, right? The, seeing a, a serpent, maybe in the, in the grass, in the, when walking through the woods. I don't know if you're like me, but every time I jump, I just get the willies, and then I have to look at it. I don't understand how they move. I, it's so seemingly unnatural to the, to the human experience of motion. What is it about them? They're terrifying, but beautiful. And that's a little garter snake. The Hebrew word here for serpent is more like, well, it's something much more. Some will even say it should be more like a, a dragon than a snake. So terrifying, but also so beautiful. And there she stands in the presence of him. But note, also in that presence is Adam. We know that the serpent, when he speaks, says you. The English fails us here. But he's using a plural, you. Our friends from Louisiana would say, y'all. He's speaking of 
not just one person, but at least two. And the only other person there with Eve was Adam. So whatever we think of Eve's fault, Adam is just as guilty because he doesn't come to her aid. He just stands there, struck in silence, in fear. What about us? What presence do we put ourselves in? Do we allow ourselves to stand in the awesome and beautiful presence of our God? Do we carve out some space and time as we hear of our Lord doing so in the gospel? Maybe not 40 days, but well, maybe 40 minutes. Please God, at least four minutes to be aware of God's presence in our lives, to stand before him, to be aware that he is the source. Second, Eve listens. Did God really say you couldn't eat the fruit of any of the trees of the garden? She listens to the lie. We know listening is important. I say this regularly to myself. I know the good Lord gave me two ears and one mouth as a reminder that I'm supposed to listen twice as much as I'm supposed to talk. It's good to listen, but to listen to good. And the evil one is so cunning. Any of the trees? Well, no, of course not. He gave the garden. The Lord gave this beautiful garden and allowed them to eat of the abundance of it, to be gathered in that much beauty. But he plants the seed, the evil one does. Did he really say you couldn't eat of any of the trees? Huh. He's really limiting you. He's really cramping your style, isn't he? And then he speaks of the forbidden fruit, and Eve listens of it. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What a strange name for a fruit tree. The knowledge of good and evil. The kumquat sounds to make more sense than that. What is that? But to know is to experience. Knowledge is power. We say, yes, it's true. But knowledge is experience. In fact, the Hebrew word to know here is repeated in the next chapter when it speaks of Adam knowing his wife. And nine months later, there is a baby born. To know good and evil here is not just an intellectual pursuit. It is an experience of it. It's a controlling of it. So the whisper that comes that Eve and Adam listened to, try it. You'll like it. It is a lie. And what about us? What are we listening to? Do we allow ourselves to listen to the good voices that point out all that is good and true and beautiful in our lives? Or do we bombard ourselves with the concophony of noise and ugliness that goes day in and day out through the 24-hour news cycle and the gossip and the backbiting and all the darkness of our world? No. To realize that we have been given the beauty of a garden, the garden of our homes, of our family, of our friends, of of our grocery store, for Pete's sake. My mom's like that. She listens to good voices. She focuses on them. This week, just uh, 
Friday. She fell. She doesn't like me telling, but she's going to be 70 next month. And she fell and smashed her knee, shattered her knee down in Florida. She had to have surgery um, just yesterday, and it wasn't good. It, it's, she can't put weight on it for six weeks, and there are definitely more surgeries ahead. But talking to her, my goodness, she's not listening to what she just can't do, but she has this voice that is focused on the good, on the praying, on the reading, on the speaking well of the doctors and the nurses, her family and friends that are coming to her support, even of her, her son who promises to pray for her from hundreds of miles away. Who are we listening to? Who are we giving, allowing to give voice to in our lives? And then finally, she speaks to him. Eve does, right? In fact, she tries to correct him. Oh, no, it's not any of the truth. It's not that bad. Let me explain this to you, Mr. Serpent. She tries to correct him. It's just the one tree from which we can't eat. She engages, and she becomes engaged to parable. As soon as, soon as she does, note what happens. She starts exaggerating. In fact, we can't, she says, we can't eat the fruit of this one tree or even touch it, lest we die. That's not it. That was not the message. It was that you can't eat the fruit. It's not anything about touching it. Once she engages in conversation with the evil one, she can't help but exaggerate the situation. And so it is with the human condition. All forms of engagement in evil, very notably, all forms of the occult, the tarot cards, the palm reading, the Ouija boards, I keep hearing more and more, in particular from our college campuses, that these things are regularly featured in people's lives. Why has the church always warned us never to try these? Because it's trying to contact and engage and, and even control that which we have no place listening to or power over, so that we should never try to speak with. I trust that that's not our wheelhouse for folks here. But what about us? What are, what are we speaking to? What are we speaking with? How, what words do we use in our prayers? The prayers from rote memory are good and important. The Our Fathers, the Hail Marys. If you've been watching The Chosen, you, you've been noting every time that the, the Jewish people stop and pray before their meal. It's something that they all know. It's not, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, but it is one that unites them. Those rote memory prayers are important. Praying from our hearts is important. But what's the Lord do in the gospel? There, similarly in the presence of Satan, similarly listening to the lies, how does Jesus respond? But with Scripture, with the truth of the eternal Word. The Bible speaks of itself in Ephesians 6 as the sword of the Spirit. We're in the midst of this spiritual battle. Are we armed with a sword 
that cuts through so much of the junk. We don't have to be scripture scholars to do this. Just a real practical and professional tip each week as we hear the scriptures proclaimed, what's one phrase that touches you? Write it down, one, one line, one verse. If it touched your heart today, it'll touch your heart on Tuesday night, on Friday morning. It'll feed you through the course of the week. Use the scriptures in our prayers. We're in these desert days, in particular during these days of Lent. And so, whose presence are we putting ourselves in? Whose message are we listening to? And with what words are we responding?